Hello, welcome to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Mariam Jam. Happy June month. So much to celebrate. We are so proud to be here. We rise this month to celebrate Pride Month. I love Pride Month. I've invited so many beautiful people who will be coming and sharing their journeys with us. Thank you so much for being here. Each time you support I Am The Code, you're elevating young women and girls globally. I cannot stop saying this, but it is true. Thank you for being here. We're also going to celebrate World Refugees Week. We're going to feature beautiful young women all across the world, but also people who are working behind the scenes to elevate refugees, fund them, support them, share their stories, write about them. I'm going to be featuring those people as well. So make sure you check out our Instagram and our social media. As I mentioned last week, our girls all across the world doing their mentoring programs and they're building the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. I had the opportunity to sit this week actually with the Brazilian girls. They are doing amazingly well. I listened to them, present their solutions to the guests. It's just wonderful. And the judges were so inspired. I couldn't believe it. It's all online. You can go and watch again what they've done. They love technology despite the lack of connectivity, infrastructure and content. The girls are trying their best. They have mobile phones, but it's not enough. We need devices. We need something more for the girls. My guest this week knows all about lack of access, mobile phones. He knows all about them. His name is Christopher Schaffler, my dear friend. He is one of the founding members of the Android platform. If you don't know, Google developed the Android operating system, which is the most popular smartphone operating system currently in use. I just saw the other day that Clubhouse have started to invite people who are using Android. How ironic, really fascinating. Christopher tells me that the Android system was launched in New York and the excitement it brought to the world was so amazing. He had to share it with me. Christopher and I know each other for a very long time. He's my dear friend and I just adore him. He's lovely. We went to Kakuma together. We traveled and he brought some friends and his daughter. It was wonderful to have him there, meet actually the girls and see the work we were doing on the ground. He is really a wonderful man and I'm so proud and honored to have him as our patron, also have him supporting I Am The Code. I really hope you enjoy our conversation because it's actually surreal for me to have him on this podcast. See you and enjoy the conversation. So today I have my dear friend and our patron, Christopher Schaffler. I hope I said the name correctly. Christopher, how are you? I'm very good. Good afternoon. It's lovely to be on that podcast. Great, great. It's so amazing to have you on the podcast. Thank you for being here. You're most welcome. It's the joy. First of all, you and I are both young globalists from the World Economic Forum, and I, I got to know you as a YGL. You have been so kind to me and really supportive to I Am The Code and to my personal growth as well. I was just saying to people how much you have given me confidence when I didn't have it. And the second thing I think you've done is you become, you're really present. You know, When I invite you to become a patron of I Am The Code, you didn't hesitate. You guided me and supported me. One of the things I will always remember, Christopher, is when he took me to Austria to help me develop my confidence. I didn't know how to ski 
And I was like so nervous, but you took me there. You said, let's go. I'm going to, I'm going to show you how to do that. Can you just, do you mind sharing that moment? And why do you think that moment was important for you to do and support me on that? Yeah, for me, it was a promise, Mariam. As you recall, I promised you to teach you skiing when we uh, were in New York. I think it was 2013 because you said you wanted to learn skiing and learn swimming. And I said, I can do the skiing part because when I was a student, I was a ski instructor. And then it was, first of all, about fulfilling my promise. Uh, secondly, about showing you where I grew up. That was tremendously important to me, bringing you there and then I think that the thing itself was just wonderful, right? Uh, seeing you to enter a new territory with uh, some anxiety also because we were talking about skiing on mountains and it looked steep. And the question is, could you slip or even fall down? Could you hurt yourself? And I think we together had to develop a, a certain specific trust in that situation that mm. would not hurt yourself, you would not fall, this would actually work if you started trusting not only following but trusting some of the instructions i gave in that technically and that process together was so beautiful to then see you grow into that and and me of course also having the privilege to be with you in that wonderful surrounding sunshine snow I think clearly you being African in the snow were very special <laughs> to me. You, know, you looked extremely cool on skis and you had an I am the coat t-shirt on, a blue one, I think black uh, tights you had, uh, very special, not a real skiing gear. You were much cooler than all the skiers on that hill. It was a very <laughs> special personal experience for me. No, it was really amazing. I think that moment really helped build my confidence as a leader. Sometimes when you grow as a leader, you want someone to hold your hand and say, go and do it. But I just want to thank you again for giving me that confidence. It was really my my moment of initiation. <laughs> <laughs> I recall it. It was really my moment of initiation where it's like, go for it. Come on. You have never done anything scary, but this is so good. It was my personal, it was my personal achievement. But how, how is COVID-19? Where are you now? I, I know that you are from Austria, but you live in the UK, right? I live in the UK. Yeah. So uh, during COVID, we have been blessed as a family because we all remained healthy. And of course, it is just tragic to see what is happening in the world now again in India in recent days, right? All the suffering and people dying. And it is such a sad thing for the world. But on the other hand, also, of course, it uh, also reminds us how precious life is and that we really need to make something out of our lives. And It also reminded me, we recently got a baby son just two and a half weeks ago and to see that miracle of life. And then also, you know, something. <laughs> thank you. And sometimes how life is also threatened and challenged. I think it all tells us, make the most of that wonderful gift. And uh, that is also something I think we all share when we think about I am the code and the girls that we really support them in making the most of their lives and giving them Opportunity, because it is uh, hugely unjust, right, that uh, equal opportunity is not fairly distributed on yeah. that planet. And I, I totally feel that responsibility because God has given me a gift of a good, you know, brain. And I've mm -hmm. been uh, fortunate enough to make something out of it coming also from simple circumstances. And I think it is all about also giving back, which is very important. What is the, um, the greatest thing you have learned during COVID? I know that you have a baby son. He's beautiful. I've seen the, I've seen the photos. But have you learned anything during COVID-19 that you could share with the girls? I actually 
throughout my life have always been convinced that actually the biggest challenge for humanity is equality, right? An equal opportunity. It is only second climate change. The number one thing is really that it is so unfair if you're today born, let's say, in London or in the Western world. Life just starts on a different basis than when you are born into a refugee camp in Kakuma, and that's just not okay. So equal opportunity is something we need to really care about. And COVID has, of course, shown us again, and look only to the vaccination programs in the world and where they happen fast and where they don't happen happen, that this is a theme we really need to care about. We cannot have such differences and differentials because this is just not what, you know, a human beings should be about. And it has made so clear to me that what I'd like to fight for in my life is continuously equal opportunity. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's something you've been talking about quite a lot many years ago. You've been talking about this for so long. Let me ask you a little bit more. So you are from Austria, but many people don't know, actually, you have made such a contribution to the world of technology. Now you are an entrepreneur. Would you mind just telling the girls and the boys what you do now uh, and what is your job? And maybe go back a little bit on how much you really supported the world and what are the things you were involved 10 years from now, 10 years before this? Yeah, it's only a little contribution in the grand scale of things. And maybe it's worthwhile to also talk a bit about my story, how I came to that. I grew up in a little farmer's village in the Austrian mountains. I grew up with my great-grandfather, who was actually born in 1887. He was an adult man when World War One was raging. And he uh, kind of almost grew to a 100 years, and at the end, of his life, he played computer games with me, which I had coded as a 12, 13-year-old boy. And that village had a primary school. It had no grammar school or something. People usually learn a profession or something like that. But I was blessed with some intellectual gifts. And my primary school teacher saw that I should actually go to a grammar school. So the mayor, the priest, and the doctor of the village came together talking to my mother that I should be sent to a different school. And I was the first in this village actually going to a grammar school. So they arranged for me to go to a school where I had to uh, do a huge trip in the morning, one and a half hours by bus and this and that, and then walking a lot to actually get to a school. And I got that great education that was really the foundation. And then I went to university and this and that, and then I ended up in the technology world, first in the telecommunications industry, which was very important 25 years ago because we started the internet and our later foundations with broadband fixed line connections so that you could send an email 20 years ago. That was very new. Nobody could ever use the internet then via mobile phone. And then the mobile phone came up basically as an internet device 12, 13 years ago. And there were two major events which changed the world. And in both of them, I have been um, significantly involved. The one was the iPhone, of course, which was launched in 2007 by a man called Steve Jobs, as we all know, was running Apple and owning Apple. And I was actually the first partner of Steve Jobs outside the US to launch that iPhone and the first one ever to sign a contract on iPhone with Steve Jobs outside the US. I will always remember we sold the first iPhone at midnight in a shop in Germany, in Cologne, not very far away of that famous cathedral. And mm. people were camping outside for two or three weeks in tents wow. to just queue up for that phone. And when we opened, 
TV stations were there and everything, and everybody felt this is changing the world, and it did. Mm. And the other thing which changed the world there, and that is the last part of that long answer, was the Android operating system. And I very randomly came across the founder of Android, who is a man called Andy Rubin. He started his own company, Android, in 2002, even before he uh, became acquired by Google. Google is now owning Android. And he asked me for cooperation and support, and I started cooperating. And we basically worked five years on that Android operating system. And then in 2008, in a subway station in New York, Andy Rubin, the founder of Android, myself, the two founders of Google, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, and the CEO of a mobile phone company uh, called HTC, us together were on stage and launched the first ever mobile phone based on the Android operating system after five years of work. We're very nervous what that would do to the world. And now in hindsight, we can say 13 years later that it has dramatically changed the internet. And it has dramatically changed how people use mobile phones. And nine out of 10 people who have a mobile phone in the world use an Android phone. And it was definitely one of the most disruptive innovations in human history. Wow. It's fascinating. I am talking to you right now. It's really, I have, I had the HTC mobile phone. I had this. <laughs> but it's really fascinating I'm talking to you about this. And then, so when you think about now, the all, all that moment, but you also see today where we are with Twitter, social media, everything. What would you advise to the girls when it comes to inventing, creating something, launching something? Do, do you have any advice on that? Well, we're only starting still. That is always true. It sounds a bit like a platitude that we're only starting, but it is true that progress and the speed of progress is ever accelerating due to the development of technology. And that is basically due to a couple of laws. It's laws like Moore's law that we are duplicating the power of a chipset every 18 months. We are multiplying the bandwidth in networks every year. We are miniaturizing technology so that things fit into a phone, which only two or three decades ago, you know, needed much more. The first iPhone ever had the same computing capacity, like the entire Apollo mission of NASA in 1969, when they shot a man to the moon, both in space and earth. The computing capacity of NASA was the same, which the first iPhone, this small little device, already had. And that means there's opportunity. And for the girls, that means try to strive for education. That is so important wherever you are. And I know it is sometimes hard in marginalized communities. Our girls, if I am the code live, what we are trying to do our best to really support them with education in the so-called STEM disciplines around science, technology, etc. So that is super, super important. Dream big. That is why things like the development goals of the United Nations, which were previously the Millennium Goals, are so important because they are changing the world. And try to come up with ideas to do something and take a risk. And uh, sometimes, and that is interesting, if you grow up in hardship, you learn something called resilience. So you are better in taking risk than people who are not hungry anymore in the Western civilizations and Western countries. And that is the enormous chance, uh, the innovation and the inventions of the world always or to a very large degree, came from so-called underdogs, from people 
whom you would not have thought they come up with that. And this is really something which is worth pursuing. And then when it, when it works out, it is just wonderful also to see that, how you can touch people's lives. But I think this is so important for the girls. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. I want to go back a little bit about when we talk about miracles, because you do talk about miracles quite a lot. And the fact that people who work hard, who have done so much through resilience and through difficulty, but you didn't have it easy. Like you had to work so hard to be where you are, Christopher. And I think when you're advising young people who look up to you on YouTube and see, oh my God, this guy was the guy who was part of this stuff. All of the accolade you had and the success you had in running companies. What would you say to young Young people today who are looking to want to be successful, but they don't know what to do. They don't have confidence. Would you mind just, you know, telling us where did you get this uh, resilience in you, and then maybe go back a little bit uh, in your that journey you had going, taking the bus and going to school and getting education? Yeah, uh, I'm happy to, and it's of course always a very personal thing and different for everybody and anybody but uh, what i find now being 51 years old so when i look back to these first 51 years in my life and i hope a lot are to come is that i have learned the most actually when it was the hardest in my life when there was a crisis and sometimes i could not even see the sun on the horizon sometimes that was a personal hardship sometimes that was something which was economical something it was just psychological a burden or something and i have developed in these situations a capacity to turn something which looked like not solvable into into an open door because that door opens then if you're in hardship and then you you work hard also for that and it's interesting you can trust on that when you have very hard times in your life a door suddenly opens somewhere and something beautiful emerges and that is what life is about uh, and these difficult experiences make you robust against that because people who don't have this experience are not robust because they don't even know what a crisis is and that is why sometimes a little blowing of a of a headwind really uh, makes somebody tumble if you have these experiences this makes you strong and that is what you call resilience and you can repeat that. So if you made it once out of a crisis and a second time and a third time, you become increasingly confident that you can repeat that. And a crisis also in the Greek language also doesn't only mean hard, it also means opportunity and chance. And that is so true. One of the things our team this season is elevating humanity. And I have seen you elevate humanity personally. I was just sharing earlier what you've done for me. The other thing I just want to ask you is, I've been to Austria. I've seen where you come from. When you think about it now, you know, what leaders who are entrepreneurial, really working hard to make all of this stuff work. My question is, how can we make sure leaders like you and us have more leadership, but also are more human? They can do better for others. It's not just... What I like about you is you don't just think about yourself. You're always trying to get things done. And when you see injustice, I feel this in your eyes. <laughs> you know, when you see there's something that's not fair, you just jump in and say, no, we're doing that. Can you share with us how do we cultivate this moral leadership, this, this empathy and compassion towards others? I think education, of course, plays a huge role, right? It is really important 
to learn from others and from the mistakes of others. That's what education does, right? It uh, basically provides you with a basis that you don't have to make all the mistakes yourself. So that is important. The second thing is really focus on what we human beings are, right? Things like empathy and just love and trust in something and then also enjoy that because it makes you strong if you are loved. So that is very important there. And then the third thing is really to reach for the stars. Some people call that a moonshot, right? Don't think small. Life is way too short to think small and get entangled only in, in this and that, which does not make you happy. If you have a dream, go for it. Go against it twice. If somebody says well, you're better off money-wise and income-wise if you become, what the heck, an investment banker or management consultant, don't do it if you don't want to do it. Follow your heart. So things like that are very important. And then you also need to be, of course, a bit lucky in life. That is always true. Nobody is just great. Everybody needs to work together with other people and sometimes be a bit lucky too. You have a beautiful mother. I met her. She's so amazing. It was just such an honor to meet her. How do you feel about having a mom who's so strong like that? And who has changed your life personally? Because you're always changing people's life, including mine. Who changed your life? My mother is tremendously important to me. She was a very audacious woman. She was basically in her early 20s. She went to Paris to be an au pair girl and got pregnant with me. And my father didn't want me, but she decided to have that child, went back to Austria. And these days, it was not so easy to have to be a sole mother, but she gave birth to me and she just, you know, had love for me all my life continuously. She was like a waterfall and, and that is such a strong basis. And she went against all odds right in this difficult situation. And uh, so she's a life changer definitely for me, but maybe that word is not even good because she is a constant source of strength and not everything is perfect about my mother. No mother is always perfect. There's a lot of, Things you can criticize also with your parents or your friends or your children. But this fundamental force was there. So that was important. And then thereafter, I, I could not single out the single personality who changed my life. But uh, hundreds of people have changed my life in a way. And you have to be attentive to sometimes take something strong just out of a moment and an encounter with somebody whom you might never meet again, but you learn something. And you can correct something which you are doing wrongly and grow with that. And uh, so so that is very important. I, I do agree with you that when I met your mom in the, at the restaurant, she was so kind to me. It was a small village, but I could see the strength, this beauty, this someone who just cared about people. She took me at the table and we had lovely food. So I will always have a, an amazing memory by meeting her. Let me ask you again, The you said you're now 51, but you've done so many things. But if you had some advice for you know the young in inventors, people who are now coming up with apps or solutions, things that will change the world, what would you you know tell them? And how do they get started? Because the girls we have in Takuma Refugee Camp are building solutions. They love the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, as you mentioned earlier. But how do we get them to just carry on and don't give up, especially living in places like Kakuma where they can't even dream big because it's so difficult for them. Yeah, no, there is, of course, a truth in that. And yet the power of technology enables you to wherever you are in the world to actually follow something quite audaciously, right? The power of the internet is actually, I call it always, that you can shift place and time. You don't have to be in New York. You can be in Kakuma and do something and you don't 
have to be uh, in the moment, but you can do all kinds of things with time shifting. So there, there are big themes and the internet is so far away from perfect. Let me give you a couple of examples because I hope that I'm also still a young entrepreneur. I'm just starting my fourth uh, tech company at the moment with big dreams. If I look at the internet today and how we experience it as a user, I am very critical around the notion of social networks. It actually has made communication not personal, but impersonal. It has jeopardized the privacy, which is a human right from my perspective, of people with kind of difficult monetary decisions. We basically have hate speech in the internet. We have manipulations, agencies, secret services, and difficult agents from the darknet can get into these networks and that is not for the good of society. And we need something which is the opposite of fake news and this and that. So the whole cluster of social networks needs a challenge and needs to be made better. Communication in itself is rather old-fashioned. If you look at it, the messaging services like WhatsApp, Facebook, Messenger, and even Snapchat are basically a better text messaging system 25 years after we have invented that video communication is still very clunky and not human so there is a huge space to innovate on the consumer side and of course then there's also this massive domain of what we call business to business and the question how entire industries transform the banking industry the construction industry the manufacturing industry and you can do that all uh, with things inside like sustainability, but also making that just a better system. And there is artificial intelligence helping as a technology. So it sounds so distant, of course, for somebody who is maybe 6, 10 or 14 years old and just joining school and entering a STEM education. But that is where you will be ending up in terms of the tools in your hands and the things you can touch, and the things you can transform and disrupt. And the opportunity is endless. No, no, I, I do agree with you. When you and I went to Kakumarufishi camp, of course, you took your time to, to come and meet the girls. You are our patron. I wish we're very proud of having. When you went to Kakuma, I know you were very sad because you just couldn't see, couldn't believe that was happening. But after that, you had hope. What, what gives you hope? Do you think the girls and what we what is happening right now gives you hope? What gives you hope, Christopher? Yeah, I, first of all, was not only sad in Kakuma, I was deeply happy, sad, pensive, excited. I saw everything there in that multifaceted world of the Kakuma refugee camp, 200,000 beautiful people in the right sense of the word, beautiful, trying to be entrepreneurial, trying to build something, laughing, enjoying the football matches in the afternoon when the sun was setting, supporting their teams, striving for education, producing something like a soap, helping in building entire city quarters. So much to learn from, so much which is extremely impressive. And at the same time, of course, uh, seeing the hardship, how this has all started, what the biographies of different people were, but then seeing these excited eyes also and looking into that enormous, you know, source of energy. And, and, and that is what I experienced there. So that made me hopeful, totally hopeful. And for Kakuma, what I see, and I think the United Nations is also very much behind that, to make a functioning city out of a refugee camp and a city which is not only you know, operating and functioning for itself, but opening increasingly in terms of also allowing for some of the people to get somewhere else in the world, but also 
connecting with the world by means of technology. And that is quite a project. No, it's absolutely. Every time I go to Kakuma, I am absolutely delighted to work with the girls. We now have 27,000 girls into our program in 69 countries. And when you become our patron, you know, we only have probably 10 or 15,000. So thank you for, for supporting us. And, but also, no, you don't. Yeah. You should not thank me, Mariam. You I should, should thank yourself. Should. <laughs> and I think we need to just congratulate you. It's an amazing success of Find the Code under your leadership and um, <clears throat> what you're doing for the world with that now charity, as we know is amazing and it's just so impressive and you must never stop it is sometimes very hard and the world increasingly sees what you're doing there in terms of being a game changer for so many and up to 1 million girls we want to enroll in this decade and this is just one of the most impressive projects i came across in my entire life well, thank you so much. But it's just because you believe in me and, and it, it pushes me all the time to do better. But let me ask you, I know you also saw the girls doing art and, and you love art. Uh, would you mind just telling the girls, what do, why do you love art? They just love art. They just finished doing uh, some scarf recently. They've been designing things. They just love art. It looks like art helps them relax a little bit. Would you mind sharing your passion uh, of art with the girls? Yeah, no, I'm passionate about the arts due to basically two different motives. The first one, I grew up with it because my mother was very much in the arts, in classical music, in in paintings. We had even one family member who was a quite significant Austrian painter. And I think that was the influence, which was quite extraordinary in the countryside because life was about farming and farmers' lives and all the topics of a farmer from cows to grass to this and that. But there was an interest and I think that opened me. But later on, I really understood that art is a source of progress. There is a Berlin artist, which is very important. Her name is Hito Steil. She once said when she thinks about art, or no, when she thinks about progress for society, she sees three angels dancing on a needle. And that is the arts, science, and technology, because these three things have always triggered change in society. Artists have provoked for thousands of years new thoughts for people. They have changed perspectives. And then came science, which is a much younger phenomenon only 250 years ago, and science has triggered change. And then came technology with first only things like the steam engine and now the internet. This is triggering change. And I love art because it provokes new thoughts and unleashes new perspectives. And that's what art does. And it's also, of course, very meditative because you can experience beauty and just stand still for a moment and reflect what a piece of art does with you emotionally and what it triggers in in you. And uh, that is something which can help you in a lot of personal moments too. The arts has been my healing. I don't know a lot about the arts, but I love it because it has really helped me heal. We have got a couple of more questions for you. Who's your mentor? You mentor people, you guide people, you support people, you give your opinion, but who is your mentor? I don't have a single one. And it's interesting. I grew up without a father. Maybe that faith started there that I had no real mentor. But the truth is, then there were a lot of mentors alongside the way whom you would not call a mentor, right? People think of a mentor as somebody who is with you for a lifetime and always gives you advice. But 
I learn a lot from almost everybody I meet, and sometimes I even don't recognize. And I would call that mentorship. It has served me very well in my life, and I'm deeply grateful for these many encounters. Let me ask you, the other thing I think we don't talk about as well when it comes to you is how did you manage to build yourself all of these years through upside down and everything, but what motivates you to to do this? And when you see your son today, how beautiful he is, how do you feel? How do you feel about this? Oh, this is a lot of questions, right? <laughs> I feel, first of all, unbelievably happy about a healthy son. I think that is just wonderful. And it's only two weeks now that he's uh, on this planet. And it is just such a joy to see uh, life emerging. And yeah, it is wonderful. That is wonderful. How did I go through my life myself? I was very early on exposed to a lot of responsibility. That was sometimes almost too much. But at the end of the day, it made me who I am. I have a strong sense of responsibility. I think it's one of my gifts that I can take responsibility also for others. But then sometimes that's hard. And I went into a lot of crisis. For instance, I had one of my daughters being... Uh, severely sick for a couple of years and that almost imploded my uh, personal life. Uh, there was difficult psychological uh, disease involved and it was very hard uh, to go through that. It almost broke my heart. But at the end of the day, there was also, it sounds strange, a certain beauty out of that process that we could master that. And there were repeatedly things like that. Some call that crucibles which made me develop. And I even when I run into a crisis today, I always decide that I take it as an opportunity to grow myself as a human being. In most cases, that works and accelerates development. And I wouldn't be uh, who I am without a set of crises in my life, uh, which have maybe at the end of the day be the best thing which could happen to me. What should people know about you that they don't know because you're so immaculate. I love when you wear your jumper, by the way. You the way you wear your jumpers, different jumper, different colored jumpers and your shirts. What should they know about you? I know you're very disciplined. Uh, you love food. You love cooking. I've been to your house. We had some parties together. What else do you think the girls should know that they don't know about you? Yeah, first of all, I'm the opposite of immaculate, full of flaws and issues. Yeah, immaculate, and this and that. you are. <laughs> no, so this is where it starts. Secondly, I always wanted to be a very good football player. I was the worst in the village, but I convinced my team to have me there. It, I think, took me seven years until I scored my first goal ever. I was just incapable. Whoa. And that you happened don't give quite up, don't you? <laughs> uh, randomly. No, no, I just enjoyed the company and I enjoyed the game, but I was not good at it. Uh, so. That was fun. I'm still trying to do some sports here and there. I just love hanging out. I love a good glass of wine. And yeah, what else should you know? I'm currently building my fourth company. I said that already. I'm also building a small little house in my home country, Austria, which I'm really looking forward to. It, it will be very special. I've never built a house before. I'm making already a lot of mistakes because I have no clue about that. Yeah, and you know, I, I enjoy life and I'm very grateful for this uh, wonderful life. It's really amazing. So what does space mean for you? You have this, the last question. What what does space represent for you? Because I see you like space, like your environment. What does it mean to you? Space in the sense of an environment, right? Yeah, uh, I understand. Like you love the ski, you love skiing, you love like yeah. beauty, air, and you like going outside. What does it mean to you? Because you've seen Kakuma, you've seen yeah. how hard it is and dry and the girls go back and forth. 
But you, yeah. I know that you like your space. You like going in for fresh air because you go every morning, right? No, I wish uh, that would be great. But I try to go two or three times a week. At the moment, it also doesn't work. But the space thing, I think it's about even philosophically, and that could be important for everybody of the girls listening, creating a space for yourself where you feel well protected is very important in life. And sometimes that is just finding a place under a tree where the sun is shining. Yesterday I walked out during a call because I couldn't stand anymore to look into a computer screen. I sat down there on a canal and there was a little bench. It was very dirty, but nevertheless the sun was shining and I was sitting there and the sun was shining in my face and it changed everything. So I think it's important to look for these spaces in your life, sometimes only for a moment, sometimes in a more stable way where you feel protected, where you have your own space and where you can seize the moments to, to, to reflect on things. Um, I've, uh, you, I've been using a little bit of yoga since 10, 15 years. And yoga, in essence, is all about learning to breathe more calmly, right? Not to be hectic, but just to sit there somewhere, breathe in, breathe out. And it changes things. And that is this creating a certain space I think it's utterly important in life to, to, to really think about that. Well, you know how much I admire you, as I said. I know you don't like me talking about it, but you have done so much for me. And I just want to thank you on behalf of I Am The Code, behalf of the girls, for being our patron and for for holding my hand, for supporting me, for guiding me. I know that when I'm stressed and I want to express something, I know who to call. <laughs> so I just want to say thank you. You have one bonus question. What, what does food mean to you? Food. Food as a bonus question. Yeah. <laughs> My God, I love food. I'm, I rather love the Italian food. I love spaghetti. A simple spaghetti bolognese is my favorite with a good glass of red wine and I just enjoy it because it usually goes along with good company, uh, a friend, a partner sitting beside you. I don't like to have food alone and it is, it's a good break between things. You have been amazing, Christopher. Thank you so much for coming on the I Am The Code Cook podcast. We do appreciate and love you so much. Thank you for being here. I love you and it's an honor <laughs> for me. I am. Thank you. One of the things I've learned this week and just through my conversation with Christopher is that when the stars are not aligned, there's nothing you can do about it. Even if you try hard, it's not going to work. So it's really fascinating. You must protect yourself. Be curious about who you are and what you want to do. You don't always have to be out there, but you must learn to embrace your truth. Be always authentic. Be who you are, no matter what Christopher did for me and what I've learned from this conversation today. What he gave me is courage. He gave me courage to go and tell my truth. I remember being so afraid of offending people because they just used to abuse me or bully me, but I was so afraid of telling them the truth that I will just not say anything. But what Christopher did is to tell me, go, even if they're not gonna like it, you have to tell your truth. I really hope that you've learned a lesson today from this podcast because without being your truth, it's not gonna work. You have been listening to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Mariam Jam. It is my delight and honor to be here with you and to share all these moments with you every single Friday. I've got so many, many feedback from you for season four and you like it. Thank you. Thank you for everything you're doing. 
If you like this content, just please go and share it with your friends. Uh, tell them you've got this podcast, subscribe. The more people share this podcast, the more people learn from people like Christopher, like Lena Tombele. So many people that came on the podcast, they have so much to share. Please go and share their podcast. We count on you and we count on your generosity. We're a very small team at I Am The Code dedicated to making the world a better place by creating inspiring content like this for people who want to do better and be better. Remember to donate to I Am The Code. There's always time for you to donate to I Am The Code and support the girls. If you're looking to mentor someone, please come and mentor our girls. We have over 200 mentors now globally. Please join them. I want to thank you so much for being here again this Friday, tuning in, listening to my beautiful friends. And I will see you next week. Happy Friday and thank you again for elevating humanity and for being here. Thank you and goodbye.